Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. So past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this uh, idea of freedom and what it means to live freely as sons and daughters of God. We've really been looking at it kind of from a negative standpoint. We've said that if, you know, freedom is the road, there's ditches on either side. Two weeks ago, we looked at the ditch of legalism, which is being overly uh, focused on external conformity, or it's, it's being overly focused on our behavior versus our hearts. We're not looking at our heart, we're looking at our behavior and are, are we following the letter. So that's the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, it's the Pharisees and the minister in the, in the ministry of Jesus. And what Paul says to them in Galatians 5.1 is it's for freedom to live as sons and daughters that you've been set free from the law. So stand firm in that reality. Don't allow yourself to be burdened again with the yoke of slavery to the law. Last week, we looked at the other ditch. The word is antinomianism, which is not a word anybody ever uses and never should. It means without the law. It's, it's I'm so uh, convinced that I've been saved by grace through faith that my, there's no limits. There are no boundaries, no restrictions. I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. It's the younger brother in the story of the prodigal. And what Paul says to those guys in Ephesians 5, or excuse me, in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he says, uh, it's, you've been called to freedom, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful natures or to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the law can be, the law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Today, we're going to try to focus a little bit more on the actual road, looking at this idea of Christian freedom. What is it? And we're going to use that idea of freedom and life in the spirit. We're going to use those terms almost interchangeably. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, where the Holy Spirit is, there's freedom. So the Holy Spirit and freedom in Jesus or Christian freedom go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit's the one who leads us into freedom. He's the one who keeps us on this road. And so we'll kind of toggle back and forth between those two, uh, those two ideas. So we're going to start, we're going to actually read the same passage that we did last week, but we'll look more at the second half of it. So Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law. Is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit." Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So thinking about this road of freedom that we've been called to walk on, the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us out of those ditches. 
He keeps us out of the ditch of legalism and antinomianism. He says, Paul says in verse 16, that uh, if, if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify our sinful desires. And in verse 18, he says, if we're led by the Spirit, then we're no longer under the law. So looking at those two verses, if we walk by, so when you see the word walk in the New Testament, when it's used metaphorically, it means to live in a certain way or to live in a certain manner. So Paul's saying if, if you live in the way of the Spirit, you're not gonna gratify your sinful desires. Why would he say that? We talked last week about the conflict that is kind of raging in the life of every believer. When we become a Christian, our flesh or our sinful nature is weakened, but it's not completely destroyed. Your flesh is that impulse that you have to live independently of God, to do your own thing, to, to make your own way. It always leads us to sin. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, and he's trying to lead us in a different way. If the flesh says live independently of the Father, the Holy Spirit says live dependently upon him. If the flesh says make your own way, the Holy Spirit says follow him in his way. If your flesh says you can't count on anybody, you've got you've to get what you can, meet your own needs, the Holy Spirit says trust, trust the Father. He knows what you need and he's going to give it to you. So if you're walking in the way of the Spirit, then there's no way you're gratifying the flesh because the Spirit's moving in a very different direction. Their desires for you are opposite to one another. So walking in the manner or in the way of the Spirit, walking according to or by the Spirit, that's gonna keep you out of this ditch of lawlessness. Verse 18, if we're led, so to be led is to be directed or to be guided. I don't like the word controlled. I don't think the Holy Spirit makes us do anything that we don't want to do. If you can use the word controlled without that understanding, that's okay. But for me, that's where I go when I hear controlled. So I don't think it's a great understanding. I would say directed or guided by the Holy Spirit. If we're directed or guided by him, then we're no longer under the law. What is that all about? In the Old Testament, when uh, the prophets are looking forward to the new covenant, They lived under the old covenant. When they look forward to the new, one of the major differences is from external to internal. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. Think about the Ten Commandments. Those were written on tablets of stone, and they were external to the people. And when Jeremiah, in particular, is looking forward to the new covenant, he said, it's not going to be like that anymore. The new covenant, the law is going to be written on the hearts of God's people The Holy Spirit's the one who does that. So we don't need the external law anymore because we have the law giver living within us. So if we're led, if we're guided and directed by him, then we're no longer under the law because he's gonna lead us in the right way. One of the things Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to lead us or guide us into all truth. So the Holy Spirit, he keeps us on the road. He keeps us out of these ditches And then Paul says, here's what life looks like in him. Last week, we looked at those 15 sins, sins of sexual sins and religious sins and interpersonal sins and sins of excess. And we said, life according to the flesh, that's what it looks like, engaging in those behaviors. It's a life marked or characterized by those 15 things. Paul now is saying, here's what life is marked or characterized by, by those who are walking on this road 
of freedom as sons and daughters of God, people who are walking in the spirit. He produces within us, and Paul lists nine characteristics or nine attributes. He calls them the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's stuff that he produces within us. It's not stuff that we produce on our own. Some people see these nine virtues really as just one. There's love, and the other eight characteristics are all facets of love. Or some people see them as non-separate things. It really doesn't matter. We don't, we don't need to argue about that one way or the other. If you want to see a fuller, kind of where that understanding comes from, is, is love, love is certainly the foundation of the rest. Is love it? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 will, is a description of love. And it says things like love is patient. Well, we just saw that. Love is kind. We saw that word too. Love is not easily angered. That sounds like self-control. So you can see a lot of overlap. I tend to see them as separate attributes, but again, I'm not gonna argue about that one way or the other. We can divide them into three groups of three. This is not, these categories are not in the Bible. You can decide if they're helpful for you. You can think about your posture towards God, your posture towards others, and then your posture towards your own passions and desires or towards your own heart. So when we think about our our posture towards God, love and joy and peace. So I'm gonna hit these briefly You can click on that QR code behind me or tap the sticker in front of you if you want fuller descriptions. And on the sticker, for sure, there's also the the things, the the sins of the flesh that we talked about last week, if you just want a refresher on that stuff. So love and joy and peace. When love, Christian love, New Testament love, you know the word, it's agape. The most basic definition is to seek the good of another, even at great personal cost. It's do it best for somebody else, even if it costs you. The clearest example of love in the universe is the father sending the son and the son choosing to die on the cross. Those things were done for us at cost to them. It's easy maybe to think about what love looks like horizontally. What does it look like to seek the good of God or to do what's best for him? It's hard to think. What does that even mean? When I think of love, this may or may not be helpful for you. Two words I think of are affectionate trust. When I think of the the affectionate part for me, that reminds me of the father-child relationship, which is at the heart of salvation. And it's the heart of God. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That's what he's always been trying to do. And then trust is complete reliance or total dependence upon him. It plays out in obedience. Obedience and love are tightly connected in the New Testament. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So when I think about love towards God, I think about affectionate trust. That's my state or my posture before him. Joy is a state of gladness that's rooted in our relationship with God, so as opposed to, to happiness, you can be joyful and not be happy. Paul says, rejoice in all circumstances. He doesn't say be happy in all circumstances. Happiness is a temporary experience of gladness that's rooted in our circumstances. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Joy is just deeper. Happiness is an experience of gladness Joy is a state of gladness. And again, it's rooted in our relationship with God and that's why we can be joyful in all circumstances. It's not because every circumstance makes us happy. It's because he's with us in every one of them. Our, our relationship with him is not determined or dictated by our circumstances. Peace is also a state. It's a state of, of wholeness or harmony or well-being. It's much more than the absence of conflict. I see peace as rooted in a conviction that God is good. I can be at peace regardless of what's going on 
because I know that God is good. I, I, to me, peace kind of moves in the direction of contentment, but they're not the same. When I think about contentment, I think more about circumstances, and peace is more of a relational word. Being at peace with God, being at peace with others, being at peace with ourselves. There's that sense of wholeness again or well-being that, that's deeply rooted in who God is, not necessarily rooted in what's going on in our life. When we think about our posture towards others, patience and kindness and goodness. So patience is not being good at waiting. That's how we think of patience. And in the, in the Bible, patience is much more relational. It's bearing with somebody over a long period of time when they're irritating or annoying. <laughs> it would be easier if patience was being good at waiting in line. It's not that. The old versions translate that word long-suffering, and that's very descriptive. You're suffering for a long time with somebody else. Perseverance is a characteristic of the Christian. It means to bear up well under difficult circumstances. Patience is to bear up well under difficult people. Kindness is not, it's not niceness. It's more active. It's, to, it's, it's being useful to someone. It's doing something useful or helpful for somebody else. It's closely tied to goodness. Probably the best synonym for goodness for us would be benevolence or generosity. It's a practical generosity. It's going the second mile when you don't have to. Somebody asks for your shirt and you give them your jacket also. Kindness and goodness are closely tied together. Kindness, again, is doing something useful or helpful to someone. Goodness is that willingness to go a second mile. Practical generosity on another's behalf. When we're thinking about regulating our own hearts, our posture kind of towards ourself, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Gentleness is not weakness. It is meekness, but that's not really a word that we use either, so it's not super helpful. Some people define it as power under control. I think of it more descriptively. Someone who's gentle doesn't push their agenda or their opinion upon others. Jesus is described as not snuffing out a, 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 a smoldering wick or not breaking a reed that's already bent or bruised. That's gentleness. He, he is gentle. He ha, he's not weak. He has power, but his power is in service to his compassion for others. Faithfulness, it's not a sexy word, but it's certainly an attribute of someone who's walking in the spirit. It's really the, it's the core of what it means to have integrity. To be faithful is you say what you mean and you do what you say. You're reliable, you're dependable, you can be counted on. You're not a chameleon who appears one way in one situation and another way in another one. Self-control is exactly what you think. It's mastery of our passions and desires. So those nine characteristics or character qualities or attributes, that's actually the character of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is forming those things within us. And this is, this is important. So what the Holy Spirit is doing within us is he's actually transforming us into new people. He's not just trying to get us to do new things. He's forming and shaping us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And you can see how this is important. He's making us into the kind of people 
who are loving and joyful and at peace, the kind of people who are faithful and gentle and self-controlled. And if that's the case, well, then you can see on one hand, the law, hear me when I say this respectfully, the law becomes superfluous. I don't need to be told to not lie if I'm the kind of person who's been, who has who has been formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit, if I'm someone who loves others, that I'm gonna do what's best for them and that's not to lie about them. It's not to steal from them. It's not to sleep with them if I'm not married to them. The law in that sense becomes, I don't need it because I'm the kind of person who follows it without knowing it. The Holy Spirit's made me into that kind of person. That's what he's doing within us. That's that's the him living within us, moving us to keep the law. He's actually forming us into the kind of people who follow all of those 613 commands in the Old Testament. He's forming us into the kind of people who obey all of the, Jesus's instructions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who follow the words of Paul in all of his letters. Even if we don't know all of them, he's forming us into the kind of people who follow him. And then on this other side, he's forming us into the kind of people, well, I'm not gonna get drunk because I'm a self-controlled person and, al- and drunkenness is a lack of self-control relative to alcohol. So all of those acts that we talked about last week, those are off the table not because I'm focused on not committing them, but because I'm the kind of person for whom those no longer hold appeal. I'm not the kind of person who does that stuff because the Holy Spirit's making me into a new person. That might be a bit ambiguous for you. We'll talk about it some more next week, but just recognize the work that he's doing is character formation. It's not behavior modification. He's forming us into this certain kind of people. What is that certain kind of people? People who look like Jesus on the inside. And as we take on his character more and more on the inside, then externally we become the kind of people who do what he would do if he was us, if he was living our lives. Does that make sense? So that's, that's what's going on. This is much deeper than do this, don't do that. This is become. And that ties into how we're gonna wrap. So what's our responsibility? If the Holy Spirit's the one that's producing this fruit within us, do we do anything? Or do we just sit back on the couch and say, get to it? What, what is our responsibility in this process? He's the one that keeps us out of the ditches. He's the one who's leading us. So what, what does it look like for us to engage with him? A couple of things you can think of looking at all of chapter five. When we think towards this ditch of legalism, what Paul says in verse one is stand firm. Be resolutely committed to what? To the truth. What is the truth? That we've been saved by grace through faith. Be resolutely committed to that truth. When you're tempted to rely on your own performance, to think that God loves you or is responding to you based on how great you are or based on how holy you are, to remember, no, It's by grace I've been saved, through faith, through trusting in Jesus. It's not anything that has to do with me. It's a gift of God. It's all, it's it's him. A spiritual practice that can help is Bible memorization. For the most of my Christian life, I was not a big fan of memorizing because I felt like it made the Bible very rote. And it reminded me a lot of school. And I didn't think it was helpful for really cultivating a heart that, desired to be in the word. But the older I get, the more I realize 
memorizing chunks of the Bible, you start with verses and then you can expand a little bit. What that does is it, it, it keeps the truth at the forefront of my mind and my heart, which is really important. It's important to be able to draw on this thing. You can see it in Jesus when he's tempted. The Bible is on the tip of his tongue. He's able to respond back to the enemy with scripture. And so I would encourage you to begin to meditate on Start with verses. If you lean in that legalism direction, start with Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That's a super simple one. And for me, you getting every word right is less important than you personalizing it and understanding it. It's by grace, by God's gift that I've been saved, that I've been delivered from myself and from sin and from death and from fear. It's his gift to me. It's not a result of my work. It's not a result of my obedience. It's not a result of my righteousness. It's not a result of my crossing every T and dotting every I and checking every box. It's his gift to me. It's, it's nothing that I can brag or boast about. Romans 8, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that I've been given, that you've been given, doesn't make me and you slaves to fear. Fear of falling short, fear of being inadequate, fear of failing, fear of being left out, fear of being overlooked, fear of not having enough. Whatever you're, he hasn't made us a slave to those fears. That Holy Spirit has brought about my adoption and your adoption as sons and daughters of God. And it's by him that we cry out, Abba, Father. That's Romans 8. Knowing those things at the forefront of your mind, over time it'll form you and shape you. It'll keep you out of that ditch when you're tempted. If you kind of, when we're tempted towards that lawlessness, I'm gonna do whatever I want. God will forgive me. What's that phrase? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. That's lawlessness. Paul says in verse 24, 25, he says, crucify your flesh. Jesus says it this way, deny yourself and take up your cross. That's two different ways of saying the same thing. Don't do something just because you wanna do it. What is that, a, a spiritual practice that helps us with that is fasting, voluntarily giving up food for a, for a certain amount of time. When you're fasting, what you're doing is you're not giving in to your appetites. Your stomach is saying, feed me, and you're saying, no, you're not the boss of me. And over time, that practice of fasting makes it easier for you to deny these other, these sinful, wanting to eat is not, it's not a sinful desire. Saying no to that will strengthen you when you are tempted by a sinful desire to, to, to gratify a desire in your flesh that's not righteous and that's not holy because you'll have, you'll have been trained and you'll have practice in denying your flesh. So then when you're in a moment of temptation, it's not the first time you've ever tried to say no. If it's the first time you've ever tried to say no, you're gonna say yes. Fasting is a practice that we can engage in. So we stand firm, we crucify our flesh. Paul says, keep in step with the spirit. That word keep in step means to align yourself with or to conform to, it's a military word. You can think about a military formation and everybody's lined up according to the guys next to them. That's what this is, the Holy Spirit's He's the one in front of us and we're aligning ourselves 
with him, what, what might that look like practically? It looks to me, I think about seeking and surrendering to align myself with him. I actually have to know where he is. I need to know what his values are. I see that, again, thinking about a practice, reading the Bible. That's where God reveals his character to us most clearly, particularly in the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Reading those, soaking on those, going back to them on a regular basis, that helps, that helps me get to know who he is, what he values, how he acts. That's the, that's the seeking part. He says, if you, you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. And then the surrendering part, that kind of, that goes, fasting to me is the easiest one to think of with that. It's releasing my desires and my will in, in submission to his. And again, if the first time you've ever tried to do that is in the heat of a, a moment, a big, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If that's the first time he's ever said, not my will but yours be done, that's, no, that's not good. But he's been formed and shaped as the kind of guy who submits to the Father. And so in that most difficult crucible of a decision, he can say, this is what I want, but ultimately I want what you want. And he can follow through with something that's not what he wants. We can be formed and shaped similarly by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So this is what I want you to keep in mind. It's a bunch of information. The Holy Spirit's trying to form us into a certain type of person. He's not trying to get us to do certain things or not do certain things. Yes, our character will come out in our actions, but ultimately it's our character that he's working on. This is fruit that he produces. Now, we would never go to an orange tree and expect it to, to have apples on it. But you don't get to pick and choose with these nine. This is not multiple choice. You can't say, well, I, I'm really into kindness and so I don't have to do self-control. He's, he's all of these we want to be growing in. And as we, Jesus says in John 15, as we abide, the Holy Spirit will produce these things in us. We're not passive. We have a part to play and that's with those spiritual practices. That's our part. Those are ways of training ourselves to become the, the kind of people that the Lord is forming us to be. That's how we cooperate with the grace of God. So that's what I'll, just keep that in mind. I'm becoming, he's forming me into a certain type of person. It's a type of person who looks like Jesus. So then whatever the situation I'm in, I'm gonna respond as he would if, if he were me. So really practically, here's what we're gonna do as we close. I want you, you can close your eyes if you're willing to do that. I want you to think in two different, two different lanes, one is gonna be a practice and one is gonna be an attribute. So we'll start with the attributes and you can just ask the Lord this. God, out of these nine, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, what's one that you want me focused on right now? What's the one that you're saying, let's, let's look at that. And again, it's not your job to get better. Remember that. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you. So what comes to your mind, I want you to grab onto that and be willing to say, if you're willing, okay, I wanna, co I wanna cooperate with you in this work. I wanna become a kind person.
not just a person who does kind things. So, Holy Spirit, you live within me. Would you form me and shape me? I want to stand firm in the truth. I want to crucify my flesh. I want to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit, as you do this work. That's one lane. Second, is there a practice that you need to begin to incorporate into your life, a spiritual practice? It may not be any of the ones I listed. There's tons. Prayer, worship, journaling, confession, silence, solitude. God, is there a practice? And you just ask him, God, is there something, is there a practice that you would want me to step into? Let's not wait till January 1st. A practice that you would want me to step into that you would use to form me and shape me into the kind of man or woman you want me to be. And see if something comes to your mind. I don't want you to be intimidated by that. You may not even know what step one is. Reach out to Matt or Vanessa, Matt at StonebridgeMarietta.org or Vanessa at StonebridgeMarietta.org and they can help you kind of begin to unpack what it would look like to engage in whatever that is. If you don't even know where to start, nothing came to your mind. Reach out to them and they can help you find a place to start. Again, these practices, these aren't, they're not... They don't give us brownie points with God. They open us up to how he wants to work in our life. It's how we cooperate with his grace. So God, I pray for all of us, kids and students and adults who are in this room. I pray that every one of us would know the joy and the, the, the privilege of walking freely as your sons and daughters. I pray that we would not put on the yoke of slavery to the law. I pray that we would not use this freedom that you've given us to indulge our sinful nature. I pray our lives would not be marked by these acts of the flesh, but our lives would be marked and characterized by the fruit of your spirit working in us. We want to grow more and more and more into the image of Jesus. So would you show us what it is to cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, in that work? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 